Welcome to TV7 Israel's podcast. We invite you to listen and share our latest content from Israel and the region. Shalom from Jerusalem and welcome retired General and Prime Minister Ehud Barak for our third conversation in this series, Watchman Talk, conversations with Israeli military and security experts and practitioners. We stopped our conversation uh, with you coming back into the career core during the War of Attrition, after the Six-Day War and before the Yom Kippur War, because you felt that it is still your duty to serve rather than pursue your academic uh, career. And you were appointed the uh, leader of this uh, battalion-sized unit. You took part and, and led operations such as uh, Spring of Youth in uh, Beirut uh, in the spring of 1973. But then you left to uh, study in the United States and came back uh, once the Yom Kippur war started. Let me uh, insert here some testimony, but uh, another Israeli um, who is quite famous, Yaakov Yasha Kedmi Kazakov earlier, who was uh, one of your crew members uh, in the uh, improvised tank battalion, Battalion 100, uh, which you organized and led during a famous battle during the Yom Kippur War. And uh, here is what uh, Yasha Kedmi is saying regarding uh, your leadership uh, qualities during a particular um, challenging moment in the battle. אני ראיתי איך הוא מתנהג, איך הוא מקבל החלטות, איך הוא עומד בלחצים, מה הפקודות שהוא נותן, איך הוא מקבל הודעות בקור רוח על נפילת האנשים הכי קרובים איך הוא שולח אנשים למוות, איך הוא בעצמו מסתכל מול המוות. ופתאום אני ראיתי דוגמה של מפקד בשדה הקרב ברמה אישית. ברמת חיילות, ברמת מפקד, הגבוהה ביותר. המקרה, היו הרבה מקרים, אבל המקרה שזכרתי אותו לכל החיים, אחד מהנגושים שלנו פתאום נעלם. הוא היה לא רחק מאיתנו, פתאום לא שמענו אותו. ובסוף הוא לא בא, הוא לא חזר לחניות. ואז הוא עוד אומר לי, נותן לי עוד רימונים ועוד מימייה. אני הולך לחפש אותה. אמרתי לו, לא, אני אלך איתך, או מישהו אומר לו, אני הולך לבד, אף אחד לא הולך ואז גנלו בצבא בלילה, לוקח את הנשק, והולך לכיוון עמדות מצרים, לעבור אותם ולחפש חיילים שלו, שהוא לא יודע אם חיים או לא. ואני ראיתי את הדמות שלו הולכת, הולכת ונעלמת בחושך. אמרתי, איזה אומץ לב ואיזה חוש של אחריות ודאגה של המפקד לחיילים. אז הרגעים האלה שאני רואה את הדמות שלו מתרחקת, ועוד הוא לא... בחור לא גבוה, איש כזה אינטליגנטי, בצעדים שלו מתרחק ונעלם בחושך, ופתאום הוא מופיע בחזרה מהחושך. זה היה שיעור מהלב ביותר, מה זה מפקד בצבא ההגנה לישראל. So what can you recall from this battle? And um, in a larger context, you 
even though you studied um, in the various armor courses and you led a company, then a battalion, eventually a brigade and even a division, it was quite a change from a special unit to such regular army forces, wasn't it? Yeah. You know, I, I went first to the um, armor corp when I was... Um, I was deputy commander of the Sayeret Matkal, of the Special Forces Unit, and it was the height of the attrition war, and I still had to wait a year until the former commander will end his term and I will replace it. You were a, ma a major. Yeah. I was a major, and I uh, went from, from, as you mentioned, from, like, crew, training, everything, and became a, a company commander. It was just the end of the war of attrition. And I got a recruit a, a company to train them, the basic training. One of them was Yash Kazakov. He was a hero, dissident against the Soviet Empire, fought and challenged them, and then came out and accepted here by the prime minister others as a, as a Jewish hero. And he came to, 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 to my unit. He was a gunner. He happened to be the, the best gunner in the, <laughs> the company. He shoots, he looks, he hits the target from two and a half or three kilometers. But at the time, there was a shadow of, a, a, of the Red Army finding itself uh, joining the war. There was an ex, uh, one clash in the air where we toppled our pilot, toppled down um, Soviet <laughs> pilots. And there was a, a fear that we might find ourselves on the ground as well with facing the Red Army. And you know, when you have to take these heavy, uh, heavy um, shells, sh shells for, for the main gun, uh, every soldier takes one. Yasha Kazakov always used to go with two. So I, I remember one consultation in the, in the command post of, the, of our division, when we discussed this issue of uh, Possibility. So I told you know I, I don't know the Red Army, but I have one soldier from there. He's the best gunner in the day, and he carries always two shells. <laughs> if all the Red Army is like Yasha Kazakov, we have a problem. It's not that simple. But and going so, back to the so war, so I, I met him when I saw him as an officer, and I recommend him as an officer. You know, people here didn't want to let him because. There was no clarity what happened to him between the age of 14 and 17, so probably he was in some training camp of the NKVD or whatever. Uh, so I uh, gave my word that he's okay. I saw him from close distance. He can become an officer. He was, I found him. I improvised a battalion. I came from Stanford to with other people. They came from abroad, and uh, I put Yasha Kazakov in my tank as an operational officer. And we, we went through this uh, very bitter, the, probably the most bitter battle I participated in. We suffered a lot of casualties and uh, in this Chinese farm. But then we crossed the canal. We crossed the canal. The first mission we got was to have a raid some 12 kilometers behind the uh, Egyptian lines to go there and another three kilometers to kill several um, anti-aircraft uh, batteries. Uh, batteries, so the uh, our efforts uh, can come because they were closed by the uh, missiles. One, one should understand here 
that the irony was that the Air Force was supposed to to, to, uh, to have hear the way us and to it have happened. The, yes, to have the armor and, and listen, operate. Be, and because we made this this uh, raid some 12 kilometers behind them, and they knew that probably we'll destroy part of them. And I was not the only one. There were several such raids. The uh, Skyhawks were already in the air. So when we turned back, and okay, we, we completed the mission and go back. So we are a column of tanks coming from Egypt toward our lines. And the, and the uh, Skyhawks coming, I thought, oh, that's going to be a tragedy. They will, uh, fortunately enough, they found some, some uh, munition dump and they went all of them home. So we continued, we had some uh, battle with, uh, with, um, with um, Egyptian tanks and we kept moving toward to bypass to to encompass the whole third army to toward Jabal Ataka. No, not to the north, to the Jabal south, Atka. toward Jabal Ataka and Suez Cut, cut off the third. Yeah, army. Suez And one night, probably the 19 or the 20s, I, I can't remember exactly. We came at night. At night, you know, to the dark sets you stop somewhere and everyone is, uh, you make your range for for a night, staying some ready but sleep. And we did it and after a few minutes, I get a report for my deputy at the end of the column of the tent that one, one APC is missing. What's, what do you mean it's missing? We, we were in there, we were under artillery, we were fighting, then it's missing. We, we don't know where it's. And there, there, were, there were some people, some mechanics, and a few people from the armored, uh, armored uh, I'll call it. They lost uh, their way, they couldn't navigate. Yeah, yeah. So I thought, what the hell is that? It's, uh, we're looking at it's, it's eight people, probably. They will kill, they will. Spirit killed or going in prisons. It was too too much for me. So I thought, so what's the hell is the problem? It's just night. We are not in active fighting. And we we went through Egyptian uh, forces. We, we shot, and I didn't want to know where, where, how far they might be there. The fog of battle. Yeah. So, but I have a background of... Uh, Forces, and I even have uh, one uh, primitive uh, SLS called Start Light Scope, something that's short of clear, but much better than normal binocular. normal uh, binocular. I said, okay, so I can take some of few people and we'll go to, to find them. They should be somewhere along the way. So I saw big eyes, very shocked, <laughs> uh, officers, when I told them, that uh, I'm going to uh, go to take them. I ordered the uh, uh, Sukenik to take control of this whole. A captain. Uh, a captain, uh, one of the company commanders. And I see that he, he doesn't believe that I really mean it. I'm going to go there, but he saw that I go out of the tent. They take this uh, big uh, SLS with me. And Actually, they said farewell, not knowing whether they'll see you again. Yeah, they, they said farewell. They were quite, quite, I, I saw the uneasiness, probably they have to. Uh, block people out of my mind. And especially when they notice that I don't take any one of them. So one of them approached me, asked me 
Why don't you take some people? So I think you will be the reason for that. I, I, I can walk in these areas without being identified. I know how to do it. And I can even use some, 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 some few words in Arabic to avoid a meeting that was important. I cannot do it with you. It's not, it, it won't work. And I used to go alone. It's not, uh, for me, it's not that uh, kind of. This is a few months after your visit to Beirut where you, yeah, yeah, you yeah. shot up the uh, Fatah leader. Yeah, but then I was uh, dressed as a woman. That uh, was more comfortable in a kind of uh, luxurious uh, part of Beirut. Uh, so I went, and I went. So what they didn't realize is that I know where to go because we have the tracks of the, on the, on the uh, ground, so I can follow the tracks. I know exactly where to go, and I will meet the same Egyptians that we met along the way, not other. So I went some, about probably two and a half kilometers backward on the, and suddenly I saw uh, some shadows of Egyptians probably uh, coming. So I uh, set aside and said, and I came close. I realized that they are kind of, they're not going moving. One of them is helping someone to, to carry, kind of go, going, going on abnormally. So I realized that that's probably the guys. And probably they are doing the same. They are walking, going on the tracks of the, that's why we met. So I, uh, it, when they come close, I told them, uh, um, this is the CEO. Yeah, I didn't want anyone to shoot at me. And they found they were so happy. One of them is now a professor running a technology college in Be'er Sheva, the Sami Shamun College, Yudah Hadar professor. And we're still in contact. For them, it was something come out of the unbelievable between the Egyptians. Is there a general lesson from that period that Israel could still find itself in dire situations? Look, for me, it was a lesson. We heard a lot about how to, the, the objective or strategy, the maneuver, the operations is to, to push the other side out of balance. I never understood what's exactly out of balance, not physically out of balance. I saw it. When I came from Stanford, I went into the headquarters, the underground headquarters. I knew it from my career. And I found them I, I found shocked. You could see uh, people that you knew were vital, they shocked, like, like, and I remember uh, Arle Yariv, he was the former, reserve, director. Uh, former, former, he was reservist. He hugged me as, as if he is not going to see me anymore. The only one who was totally calm and, and projected energy was the chief of staff, uh, Dadu. Um, and um, it was quite depressing to look at them. And I came to the command uh, post of the um, of the Southern Command to report to them that they came. Uh, and I found something similar, not depression, but total bardak, total the uh, uncontrolled situation. People sat down, sat. It was not controlled until, until the same Barlev, who told me this operation is on the chicken legs, came there and his, his reassured in authority reassured him. He did it after he did the same in the Northern Command. Uh, but, uh, you know, mainly there is a lesson here. 
we should prepare to do worse. In retrospect, I noticed to myself that our attitude, it was not just a mistake of the intelligence, or mistake of the intelligence that was fed by a mistake in judgment of the operational command, and they misled, not misled, they, they contributed to the failure of each other. Complacency? Yeah, both of them contributed to the failure of the political level to see clear the situation. And uh, I, I noticed that the, this, this could happen to everyone. And you have to beware. It's a, our, our, there was a misreading of the results of the Six Days War. People believed that it was before some innate, built-in edge of the great uh, new Jewish fighters over those uh, Arabs. They didn't realize that the real impact of um, Six Days War was rich because we initiated and they were surprised. And that's the price of being called surprised. And now we are paying the price of being called sur surprised. It's not about something innate in our uh, superiority. There's no superiority we can say. Okay, so... so um... and, but, but no, but another important uh, element is that, you know, in the Yom, Yom Kippur War, tactically, it was the greatest military triumph of Israel. We were attacked, surprise attack, by 1.5 million people many hundreds of, of airplanes, of tanks, thousands of tanks, whatever, artillery. And we were sh shocked by the surprise, but within seven days we were closer to Damascus, and within another 10 days closer to Cairo. Tactically, it's great, uh, great victory. But strategically, it is the other side who reached its objectives. Uh, Sadat didn't plan to go to, to Gesher Adalon, to Ashdod, or to join Hebron, which the Egyptians did in war of independence. And Syrians didn't uh, think of coming to Ghana again, as they did in the- Sea of Galilee. In Sea of Galilee. So they succeeded in using all their forces for a relatively limited, but highly strategically important purpose, shaking the Israeli concept and self-confidence and get some um, a grab of a land uh, over the canal. But historically, we won again. Because the Arab side realized that if under such a surprise attack, you, can, you still cannot defeat Israel, probably there is no way to do it in this way. So probably the seeds of the uh, interim agreement and the peace agreement were, were sown well, this in, is the, in this battlefield. The, this is and since then, they changed all the strategy. They realized they cannot fight with us this way. So they turned to terror, to uh, standoff weapons in the hands of infantry against um, uh, armor, fighting from, from heavily covered area, from built areas, uh, terror from within and without. This capacity, rockets and missiles to bypass the edge of our Air Force, and on another level than nuclear uh, aspirations. You were, um, at the time, um, perceived as having two, quote-unquote, idols, generals turned politicians, Moshe Dayan and Arik Sharon. And actually, in a way, you followed them 
from the military um, into uh, politics. Moshe Dayan was not close to me. I had very few contacts with him when he was already a hero. And, uh, and, uh, but I watched him. He was interesting personality, very original, very uh, not narrow-minded. He was very courageous in the, in the field not that courageous as a civilian or as, even as a politician, but he was very deep into the Israeli culture, into poetry, into literary, probably from his mother, I don't know. And he was an attractive person. So I followed him and his career. I, I was, in a way, surprised to the way that he was not standing or fighting, putting all his weight on things that he saw ahead of others believed in and and even raised but he didn't fought for it for example the idea that probably the best uh, best thing in, in 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 the south is to respond to american proposal uh, backed by the egyptian that we will withdraw for some 30 kilometers let them open the canal they will get billions of dollars every year and they can bring back million or more uh, civilians to the cities of the, and it will become a, a normalization handcuffs because you don't open a war once you but, have. But he didn't and have, he, he didn't, he didn't have the, courage the courage of his convictions. Yeah, yeah, to fight for it. Sharon was a different case. Sharon, I really followed very closely as a teenager and the achievements of his soldiers. And I, I know some of them and later on many of them personally, and we followed, in a way, the SAS abroad and, uh, and the, his unit in the first. And I was, uh, he was a huge, a, a very devoted supporter of myself. He noticed that I'm doing something that reminds him his youth, uh, proposing ideas that are not yet fully right, but throwing the responsibility for not having operation to the, the upper leadership and ready always at any time to do whatever, to rescue, to, to remove um, free uh, hijacked, uh, I know, uh, passengers on an on a airplane that landed in, in um, Ben-Gurion Airport or to go to Beirut as a woman, to, whatever it takes, we were ready. We always say, yes, we, re we will be ready, just give the green light. You wanted and, to go into Munich. Uh, yeah, and, yeah, and the I Germans would, would, yeah, would not and, allow. But Dayan, Dayan didn't allow, and, he, and in retrospect, he was right. Because if I would have come, not just Zamir, head of Mossad, I would come, I would, I could not stand giving them operational advice, how not to make stupid things. They, but they were so incompetent that they would fail even with the proper advice, but then they would say, okay, well, you just follow the recommendation of your expert. So Dayan was in this regard good. So between myself and Eric, there was a very uh, deep relationship of, of highly appreciation. He was, he imposed me as a, as a ranking general upon the chief of staff and others. And it was close, but I never wanted to be really close to him because I noticed a phenomena like, uh, you know, a leaf in a, in a centrifuge. It come closer, closer, closer to the axis. When it hit the axis, it should, with Sharon, you could either, either be a, total admirer and almost servant, or you will inevitably pushed out of the inner. And so I decided not to uh, go into the inner circuit. El Barak, you uh, served in, in several 
almost all of the Israeli top positions except for finance minister. Um, but if you consider your career, director of military intelligence, chief of staff, foreign minister, defense minister, twice prime minister, what was the most rewarding position or perhaps none of those? The defining uh, element of holding a position to be rewarding in the element of uh, independence. It reminds me of Diane, you have mentioned it, that when he was proposed to get the title of deputy uh, chief, of chief of staff, rather than the head of operation. He said, I prefer to be the head of something rather than the deputy of someone. And for me, it was the, in a way the same. So my greatest experience was a commander of the Sayyid Matkal unit, chief of staff, and uh, Prime Minister and, and Minister of Defense together, because then you, you decide within your own body uh, the, what, what will be the decision of the triplet of uh, Prime Minister, uh, Defense, and, and Foreign Affairs. So, because always you are serving someone. As a, as a, as a commander of Serenokal, you serve the Chief of Staff. As Chief of Staff, you serve the government. Even the government, you, you, you serve history and the public. But you are independent. You can... Decide, you have to explain. I remember as a young commander of Ramatkal, I knew that all the others, they, they don't really understand. Even the Ramatkal, he basically trusts you. He, he doesn't really, he cannot dive into all the details of what you propose or what you're going to do. The same is as the chief of staff. And in a way, the same, you have only history over you when you are um, prime minister. Now you are the elder statesman of Israel. One current topic, Iran. Is it such an existential threat uh, to Israel? And should Israel deal with it diplomatically or otherwise? Look, it's not, it, it, at the present time, it's not an uh, existential threat. It could potentially develop over the years into an existential threat. I don't think that the Iran aspiration for nuclear has to do, it, it was not originated because of us. We somehow found ourselves at the other uh, extreme. So. You know, it deserves a lot of attention and deserves a lot of effort to avoid it. It's not existential now. It cannot become existential even if they get somehow a, a weapon. We have to realize they can have weapons if there is political meltdown in Pakistan. You might find that after two weeks when the dust settles, there are half a dozen of of uh, weapons in Saudi Arabia and half a dozen in Iran. The Muslim bomb. Yeah, you are not going then to, to go back to North Africa and Eastern Europe. We are here to, uh, to stay. We are strong. We, it will be a major problem. It will be a change of landscape. But nothing can really threaten our continuity if we are clever enough acting soundly and keep the right relationship with the United States. Ehud Barak, words of wisdom in almost 80 years of serving the country and uh, knowing uh, its history and perhaps its future. Thank you very much for being with us. Thank you. It was a joy to talk with you because you know everything and you keep in memory everything. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us in another TV7 Israel podcast. For more content, visit our website at tv7israelnews.com or follow us on social media.